Welcome to Ministry by Mail, a weekly sermon publication of the Church of the Lutheran Confession. This week's sermon is by Pastor Nathan Pfeiffer of Invergrove Heights, Minnesota, for the first Sunday in Advent. Our theme for today is Nazarites and the Nazarene, Nazarites as types of Christ. Dear friends in Christ, fellow redeemed, who have come to worship the King who was born for you, grace and peace be with you all. Tonight we want to talk about an Old Testament term that you may or may not be familiar with. It's that of a Nazarite. The Hebrew word nazir comes from the ver- verb nazar, which means nothing to you, except you can find the word Nazarite found in that term. And nazar means to dedicate or to separate. So think of that last piece of pie at Thanksgiving. That last piece of pie is mom's. She did all the hard work getting the meal ready. So you're going to separate that one piece of pie and dedicate it to mom. And if anybody else touches that piece of pie, they're in big trouble. It's been separated from all the other things and dedicated for mom to enjoy after a hard day of work. We can think of Nazarites similar to that piece of pie, if you will, that they're separated and they're dedicated for something special. A Nazarite is someone who made a special vow or promise to God. And they showed they had separated themselves for this vow in a couple of different ways. During the time of their vow, they were to drink no wine or any intoxicating drink. They were not even to approach anything that could intoxicate them or that would give a hint of intoxication. So no grapes, no raisins, no grape juice. During this time of the vow, they were to nazar or separate themselves even from dead bodies, even if it was a family member. And then there was the great outward sign that they were under a Nazir vow, a Nazarite vow, they would not cut their hair during the period of their vow. At the end of their Nazarite vow, they would bring prescribed offerings to the temple, and at the temple they would shave their hair off that had been growing during the time of their vow, and they would burn it along with the prescribed sacrifices. All these acts separating themselves from wine, which just about everybody drank at those times, separating themselves from dead bodies, and separating themselves from a razor cutting their hair, were all outward signs of an inward promise that they had made. They were separating and dedicating themselves to the Lord for some specific purpose. As we consider the Nazarene, our Savior Jesus of Nazareth, we're going to do a little play on words and consider Nazarites. Three Nazarites who were separated to the Lord from the womb for their entire lives. We're going to talk about Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptist. When we think about Samuel, Samson, and John the Baptist, there's another thing that connects them other than their Nazarite vow. All three of them had very unique births. 
Samson's mother and father were barren. They had no children. The same thing with Samuel's mother, Hannah. She had no child until she prayed to God and God granted her this boy, Samuel. And of course, we're very familiar at this time with Zacharias and Elizabeth. How they were old and had no children and God gave them John the Baptist. So as we consider these three Nazarites that were separated to the Lord, we want to consider how the Lord, um, though he himself was separate from sinners, came to dwell among us in order to separate us unto God. The first one we want to consider tonight is Samson. And we read in Judges chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, the angel of the Lord speaking to Samson's mother. We hear now. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So far, God's word. So here we have our first Nazarite, probably the most well-known Nazarite. And if I were to do a trivia game and they were to ask me to name a Nazarite from the Bible, this would have been the one I would have thought of first. When you hear of Samson, what do you think of? Maybe the Siddle girls think of their cousin Samson. But that Samson's hair is much shorter than the Samson in the Bible. When we think of Samson, we think of a man with great strength, maybe like the picture you have on the cover of your bulletin or on the opening screen at home. That of Samuel, or Samson, excuse me, tearing apart a young lion with only his bare hands. So we think of superhuman strength. We also think of the long hair he had. We think of maybe his weakness for women. Samson did indeed have supernatural strength. Throughout his life, we read in Judges that from time to time, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson and he had super strength. That super strength allowed him to tear apart that young lion with his bare hands, to kill a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. In Gaza, he ripped the gates from their foundation and carried them all on his back. All this strength was given to Samson for one purpose, and that was to deliver God's people from their enemies, the Philistines. Now, if you know anything else about Samson, you may know how the rest of the story of his life goes. Though he had great physical strength, he had weakness for women. One woman in particular, a Philistine named Delilah, whined to Samson that Samson wouldn't tell him where he got his strength from. Finally, Samson does tell her, that he is a Nazarite to God from his mother's womb, and that if his hair is cut off, he'll become weak. 
Now, in telling this heathen woman of his Nazarite vow, Samson, in a way, had already broken his vow. Remember why he was set apart in the womb? He was set apart to deliver God's people from their enemies. And now here he was with a Philistine woman telling her where he got all his strength. And so it is that Delilah lulls Samson to sleep and shaves his hair. Samson is then hauled away by the Philistines to a prison in Gaza where his eyes are gouged out and he is put to work on a grinding wheel. But as we read on in Judges 16, we find that as he's in prison, his hair begins to grow again. And as it grows, it's an outward sign or a reminder of Samson renewing his vow to the Lord to deliver God's people from their enemies. And as blind Samson is brought before a large Philistine party at their temple to put on a show, Samson is placed by a large pillar. A pillar which supported the entire temple. And in his blindness, God, or Samson saw that God was his strength. And he prays to God that God would give him strength just one more time, saying, let me die with the Philistines. God gave him strength. He pushed over those pillars and the whole temple collapsed on those Philistines. And we're told that Samson killed more Philistines in his death than he had killed in his life. What a captivating thought. What a captivating account from the Bible. I think of little boys listening to this and hearing of this man with this great big strength tearing apart lions and wanting to be just like Samson. He was a man born to defeat the enemy in death. And isn't that a picture of Jesus? Thinking of one born to deliver his people, that's exactly Jesus. His stepfather Joseph was told about his fiancée Mary would bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Like Samson, Jesus died with his enemies in order to save his people. Jesus took our enemy of sin on himself on the cross. He took on the enemy of death as he breathed his last and died. Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God and Son of Man, has delivered us. He has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It is a bit of a strange contrast, isn't it, though, between Samson and Jesus. Samson flexed his muscles many times to demonstrate his great strength and attract women to himself. And he used that great strength in various ways, from killing the enemy with a jawbone of a donkey to lifting up gates and carrying them on his back. Jesus, too, had a lot of power. He was able to walk on water. He was able to raise the dead, to heal the blind and the paralyzed. But how does Jesus use his power? 
to lift up the gates of hell itself and bar the way, to lift up the gates of death itself and give life and the resurrection. So like the Nazarite Samson, Jesus of Nazareth was born to deliver us. To hear of our next Nazarite, we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. I mentioned earlier that if we were to have a trivia game and if I were to be asked to name a Nazarite from the Bible, Samson would have been my go-to. I don't know if I would have thought of Samuel, though. But Samuel was a Nazarite. When we think of Samuel, usually we think of the little boy in the temple that God called out to. Samuel, Samuel, he called. Or maybe we think of the man who anointed David to be the next king over Israel. Unlike Samson, though, whom God declared to be a Nazarite from the womb, Samuel's mother, Hannah, voluntarily made this vow, praying that if God would give her a child, he would be a Nazarite. She said, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So just as we see pictures of Samuel with long locks of hair, or Samson with long locks of hair, we should think of Samuel the same way. He was a Nazarite to the Lord. Like Samson, Samuel never got his hair cut, and his long hair would have been a reminder of that Nazir, that Samuel had been separated and dedicated to the Lord. Here in 1 Samuel 12, though, Samuel is no longer a little boy in the temple with God calling out to him. Now he says he's old and gray. He has just anointed Saul to be the next king of Israel. Samuel is the last judge Israel had. You see, the people of Israel wanted to be like the other nations and have a king. God allowed it, but he told them it wasn't going to be easy. The king would demand taxes, take their land, and put their sons and daughter to work in his service. Samuel, like a grandfather loving his people but chastising them for what was wrong, scolded them for demanding a king. The people asked for God's forgiveness. And though the people had rejected the judges God had given them and asked for a king, Samuel does not cease to care for these people. He promises to continue to pray for them and instruct them. In this way, he's kind of like Samson. Samson had his hair cut off. Here with Samuel, his work had been cut off by the people. 
But that's not going to stop Samuel from carrying out his Nazarite vow. Hannah, before he was born, said, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And that's what Samuel did. He gave himself to the Lord all the days of his life. Even when he was replaced by wicked King Saul, he doesn't stop carrying out his vow. He promises to pray for the people and to instruct to the people and to remind them of the great things God has done for them. This, too, should remind us of Jesus. Jesus was born to instruct us and, like Samuel, to intercede for us, to speak on God, to God on our behalf. John writes that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared him. Jesus was born to instruct us about the one true God and the way of life. And though Jesus has ascended into heaven, he continues to call on us to make disciples of all nations by baptizing and teaching everything he's instructed us. Just like Samuel, Jesus continues to instruct the people. Samuel also promised to continue to pray for the people. That's the work of interceding. One man praying to God on behalf of the people. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Interceding at the Father's right hand on your behalf. Talking to the Father about you. As Paul writes, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Who better to intercede for you than the one who represents both parties? As God, he speaks to God. And as man, he speaks on behalf of man, representing both parties. So, think of Samuel, the faithful servant of the Lord, who served the Lord all the days of his life, faithfully instructing the people and faithfully praying for the people. Even so, Jesus was born to instruct us about God and to intercede for us on our, before God on our behalf. Our third Nazarite that we want to consider, uh, maybe one that is a surprise to you, but it is John the Baptist, the one born to prepare the way for the Lord. We hear of the angel Gabriel speaking to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared.
And so we consider John the Baptist. John the Baptist, of whom Jesus says, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. When we think of John the Baptist, we certainly think of baptizing. We think of a fiery preacher. We may even think of the strange clothes he wore and the food he ate, the camel's hair, clothing, and the locusts or grasshoppers he ate for supper. But John the Baptist was also a Nazarite, never drank any alcohol and would have never cut his hair, again, as a symbol, an outward symbol that he was separated to the Lord. Like Samson, God determined that he was to be set apart even from the womb for a special purpose. And we hear of that in our text. His purpose was to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Why was John born? Well, he was prophesied throughout the Old Testament from Isaiah to Malachi, speaking of the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's John. John was the voice. And his mission was to get people ready for the Lord, to get people ready for Jesus, the coming Messiah. He did that through the voice, calling out, preaching law, warning about sin, calling people to repentance, getting their hearts and minds ready so that they would see their great need for a Savior. That even as they saw the sin in themselves, they'd begin to look, well, where is the Savior who's going to rescue me from this sin? This is the voice in the wilderness, the one preparing a people for the Lord. Once again, this Nazarite can remind us of the Nazarene, Jesus Christ. Jesus also was born to prepare us for the Lord, but in a little different way. Jesus was born to prepare us for the Lord by being our righteousness, so that through faith in him we could be clothed in his perfection and be prepared to stand before the Lord in his holiness. He was born to prepare us for the Lord by washing away our sins, by shedding his blood on the cross to cleanse us from all our our unrighteousness. You see, with our sins, we couldn't stand before the Lord. So Jesus came to prepare us for the Lord by taking those sins away himself. Jesus was also born to prepare us for the Lord through his resurrection. When he rose on Easter, God declared us not guilty, that the payment for our sins was complete, nothing more needed to be done. Now we are not guilty in God's sight. So as we think of John preparing the way for the Lord and preparing the people for the Lord through his voice, rejoice that the one who came after him, who was greater than John, Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, was born so that he himself could prepare us for the Lord. So, Nazarites, 
Maybe you knew a thing or two coming into tonight what a Nazarite was, how they were separated and dedicated to the Lord, how they showed themselves visibly with their long, long, long hair, how they would have been separated to the Lord. But now you know why, especially with Samson, separated to deliver. Samuel, separated to instruct and intercede. John the Baptist, separated to prepare the way for the Lord. Even so rejoice that Jesus was born to do the same things, to deliver you, to instruct you, to intercede for you, and to prepare you for the Lord. So let us rejoice in the glad tidings that unto you is born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Amen. If you would please rise, we continue on page 6 with our response to the word, along with our hymn verse. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The following was a publication of the Church of the Lutheran Confessions Ministry by mail. Visit clclutheran.org for more information. For print copies of this or other sermons, please visit lutheransermons.org.